Next, it's into the studio, about five minutes before showtime. No time, of course, for anything so boring as a rehearsal. I'll quickly check my opening position and say a friendly hello to the guest, whom I will not have seen until then. For a lot of our guests, it's their first time on television, and I try to make them feel at home. Three, two, one, showtime. The show itself is the easy part, and usually lots of fun. Afterward, those guests who want them get some photographs taken. Most enjoy watching the show with us as it goes out to viewers, and then we'll work on next week's program. On the weeks we use viewer questions, I'll pick them and have them sent to the panelists, who can do the necessary research instead of answering them off the cuff. Even for certified geniuses like our panelists, that's usually not a bad idea. It's generally close to midnight when I leave the building, thinking about next week's show and how we can do it better. I'm determined that we're going to go on doing it until we get it right. We have Tony engineering this morning, and I wanted to get Tony's quick take on the shocking announcement this week that Lynn Goodman was retiring as one of the judges from Dancing with the Stars. Tony, you're yeah. the foremost Dancing with the Stars expert slash fan in America. I don't know about that, but he it wasn't shocking because he'd been talking about it for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, Craig. And, and uh, see, the thing he does is he does the Strictly Come Dancing show in United Kingdom, uh -huh. and that's at the same time as the fall version of Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> Okay. So for 10 years, he did double duty. He worked that show Saturday night. He would do the results show Sunday night, do the red eye, come do Monday show here in L.A. You know way too much about uh, Lynn Goodman's schedule. Yeah. Stars. Well, it's very disappointing because he's one of my favorites. Who's going to replace him? Um, as of now, they're going to do guest judges for the next season. <laughs> now, the hope is, is he'll come back for the spring season, season 22, because uh -huh. they don't have the Strictly Come Dancing in the U.K. then. So... <laughs> Your eyes glazing. Hey, Tony, see if you can pot down your mic there a little bit. Just, just <laughs> run it down. Come on. No, no, Craig no, asked it, him and he was it answering. Is, it is amazing. It's that, incredible. That he knows this much about dancing with yeah. the stars. All right, just, this is totally random. In P1s, we have not set this up. All right, Tony, season six, who were the finalists? That uh, was Christy Yamaguchi, the Olympic skater. Uh, Jason Taylor, the Miami Dolphins football player at the time. <laughs> and then uh, the third guy was a guy named, uh, let's see. Hot Dog six, Sam? No, it was uh, Christian De La Fuente. He's a Latin soap opera guy or <laughs> this something. This is unbelievable. <laughs> it's a random Howdy ho, everyone. This is the Ballroom Blitz. I am Tony the Engineer. Welcome back. 
Well, we've made it. Uh, next week is the finals of season 31 of Dancing with the Stars. I uh, can't believe it's gone this fast. Uh, I know I say that probably every year. It does seem extra fast to me this season, I think, because of my illness. If you guys have been with me the whole season, you know I was battling stuff for about six weeks. And uh, boy, I looked up and it's Halloween week, and then you know it's very close to being done after that. So, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it went by really fast. But uh, before we think about the finale, we have to talk about the semifinals, which happened on Monday night, November 14th. Now, the big question I had last week for myself, and I'm sure you guys heard it when I talked about it, was, was I going to be able to get to the show in person? Uh, my plan before all this, this, the season started was I wanted to go five times because you never know how much longer this thing's going to go on. And I just feel a sense of urgency to do it as much as I can now, uh, since we are near the end, much more than we are at the beginning. Um, so that was the plan. Well, I got that sickness thing going and I had to miss, uh, the first, uh, the second one I was going to, I got to go to the premiere and I had to miss the second one. And then very luckily, I, I, I shouldn't complain too much about being ill so long, because my first illness ended and I was scheduled to take one of the contest winners from last season. And then uh, I got sick again. And then by the time the next two weeks rolled around, uh, I was getting over that and I was scheduled to take the other contest winner from last season. And both of those went off very well, had a great time. So can't complain too much, but I'm like, gosh, I got to get out one more time. And so November 14th was the time and I had tickets, airline tickets, you know, a long time ago. And uh, the, the big thing was, am I going to get tickets to the show, as it is every week? Well, I got the email on Friday, had to wait all week, got it on Friday, and answered right away. Thankfully, I just happened to you know be watching it right then. I mean, I believe me, I watched very closely all week, but there are times where you just can't do it for whatever reason. And uh, <clears throat> I was lucky, I got it, and then uh, they were gone within 17 minutes, so... It's a very hard ticket to get if you're an average person. And uh, I knew this was going to be difficult more than, let's say, normally because it's the semifinals. Next week's going to be impossible is what I'm thinking because the finals and semifinals always bring in a ton of VIPs. And uh, they said that's first thing they said to us when we got out there, you know. Uh, they hadn't said this all year to us, but I was in line and they're like, well, we hope we're going to get you in. We're going to do the best we can. And they had never said that before this season. It was always like, congratulations, you're going to get into the show and what's going to happen and all that. Well, this time they weren't that positive about it. And it was because there were so many VIPs. In fact, when I got in there finally, <clears throat> they had, um, you have to forgive me, I still have a little congestion. Can you believe it? There's still a little stuff in there. And it makes my ears sound funny to myself more than usual. And gosh, I'm going to have a clearing of the throat every once in a while. Unbelievable. But <laughs> didn't mean to get sidetracked there. The, um, the VIPs were on the second floor, the first row of the second floor. You rarely see that. And both sides, the whole first row. So that meant, <clears throat> since there's no third floor this year, that meant all of us regular people got second floor, second row. And then they basically turned second row into a third and fourth row. So we're jammed in there like sardines. And, you know, thankfully they got us in. But still, I'm like, this is awful. I was in the third row 
of the second row of the balcony, if that makes sense. There's only supposed to be a second row, but then they had another one and then another one. And of course it was standing only because they had no way they had that many chairs up there. So this is going to be a long one, I figured, but hey, you're still in the ballroom. I'm there. Well, next thing I know, here comes a page coming to get all of us that just seated us and said, hey, you guys uh, come on down. We need to need you as seat fillers. They're going to pre-record a couple things on the show, and a lot of VIPs aren't here yet. And I'm like, cool, at least I get to do that. And so we go down there, <clears throat> and they gave me a seat. You know, I was by myself, so um, I got to sit in one seat that was by itself. Lots of times people are with other people in their party, obviously, and they don't want to get separated, and it's a whole mess. But I'm very easy. I'm like, set me wherever you want. And there was one lonely seat by itself on the end of an aisle. And I saw the name Andy something, and uh, shout out to Andy out there. Boy, thank you for not showing up, because he didn't show up the whole night, and I got to sit there the whole night. It was um, on the opposite opposite side of the judges, about three rows up on the uh, aisleway. Uh, Let's see. If you're looking at the judges, it would be closest to Carrie Ann, so... I guess, farthest away from the stage. So if you're watching the show and you want to see who I am, if you haven't seen me on Twitter or whatever, uh, I can't remember. I think it was about at the minute 20, at the hour 20 mark and then the hour 30 mark where they did an audience pan of the camera and I was right there both times. But um, what a thrill. That wasn't the the goal is to get on camera necessarily, but you're right in the middle of everything there. And... uh, the people sitting next to me, I had to ask them, I'm like, may I ask who you know here as a VIP? And they said the executive producer. And right away, my eyes got big and I'm like, you don't mean Conrad, do you? And they go, yeah, Conrad Green. I'm like, holy crap, you know, that's the, that's the whole, that's the guy this year that came back and was the original producer. We've talked about him and gave us new hope and put a good show together again this season. And I was like, man, I can't believe that, you know. Uh, if and when you see him, make sure you tell him that, you know, I'm a, I'm a longtime viewer of the show and I'm just stoked beyond belief that he's back and we're so looking forward and, and thankful to him being here <laughs> because he's making this right again. And they were like, oh, okay, yeah, we, we agree, we agree. So that was quite a thrill. And then uh, uh, those little tables they have uh, for the real VIPs, family members and so forth, former contestants, uh, one of them was about 15 feet away from me. It was the one on the end, and there was Neve Shulman and Sadie Robertson. And for you guys that know the show and have been around a while, Neve or Nev, I think it's Neve. I can't remember now. Nev? Nev Shulman? Neve Shulman? <laughs> it doesn't matter. He, he's the catfish guy, MTV show, I think. He finished second in season 29, and then Sadie Robertson finished second in season 19. And it's good to see them again. It's always good to see, you know, the former contestants show up, not like they know me at all, but I still feel like I'm part of the family, even though I'm not. (laughs) But what a blast it was. It was just a thrill. One of my most memorable visits ever. And here we are at this late stage to be able to say that. It's, uh, it, it was just super exciting. And boy, I was on a high for a while after that show, to say the least. And yeah, 28, 28 times of visiting the show, it took me to get to that, that, that plum seat. So what a thrill it was. Okay, let's get to the show itself. Uh, They were going to have two full-length performances. 
uh, a ballroom dance and a Latin dance. As always, you know, near the end of the season, they really hit these guys hard. They're all hurting with injuries and tired and and uh, boy, then they come and hit you with two full-length dances. And those dances were regular long dances last night, you know, a minute and a half each. You know, in the early part of the season, they might only be a minute or a minute five or ten at the most probably because they have so many contestants. Well, they get up to a minute and a half, and that doesn't sound like much, but you add another 20, 30 seconds on a dance, that's like a third of the performance more. And I love that because you uh, the, the people are good dancers at this stage and you get to see longer dances. So it was really neat. And then I love just the old the old school, hey, let's do one ballroom and let's do one Latin and make it full length. And it just is like old school. So, uh, you know, the old days. Uh, let's see here. Um, I've got a weird noise in my house here. Okay, never mind. Sorry about that. I was hearing some kind of weird thing, and I'm like, at this late night. By the way, I'm recording this very late night, uh, Tuesday slash Wednesday morning, because I just got back from L.A., and I don't know TC's schedule, so I'm not sure when he's going to get this out to you guys. Uh, the quicker I can get it to him, the better, so I'll get it to him on first thing Wednesday morning, and hopefully he can get it out to you Wednesday, and I don't know how long it takes to have Apple and Spotify pick it up, but uh, I'm hoping you guys get it Thursday. If not... It might be Friday, but uh, I'm doing the best I can here to get it out to you guys. Uh, yeah, so we had two full-length uh, dances on the show. Uh, it's going to be another double elimination. You know, only six contestants left now, so they got to get it down to four. And as usual, there would there would not be a judge's save on the very bottom person on the judge's slash fan scorecard at the end of the night. They made a big point of saying that, and I don't know why. Again, to me, that's a flaw in the system. I wouldn't be highlighting it, but I think it just kind of goes along with this whole it's not like the old days, you know, it's just, I don't know. It, it still bothers me because again, what would have happened? Uh, I guess I'm letting the cat out of the bag here, but it, you know, if one of the top four dances somehow didn't have the fan support and we've seen it multiple times over the seasons in this show and they would go home when the judges save is supposed to be there to, to not let that happen. So I still don't understand that. I'd love to talk to Conrad about that, but, uh, um, and let's see. Oh, yeah, the judges, they, uh, I, I was great. It was great for me, too, because, uh, again, talking about it a little before it's happening here, uh, they were they were picky last night. And I'm going to keep saying last night because it's late Tuesday as I'm doing this, as I said. But uh, they didn't just hand out tens to everybody. They didn't just, you know, hey, everybody gets a trophy. Let's all be happy and fun. They didn't rubber, rubber stamp everyone. So they, they made uh, some constructive comments still to people. That probably won't happen next week, but I'm so glad they did it this week. So, all right, let's go to the dances. Uh, I'm probably going to be a little late tonight. Um, I know you guys, if you've been listening, I'm trying to keep this thing to around an hour 15. But uh, I feel like I've been cheated a little bit because I had to do those two short shows early in the season. Well, mid-season, I guess, when I got sick. And uh, I got a lot of stuff to talk about. So we'll see how it goes. But uh, as always, you know, if you don't like something here, just uh, zoom through it. Uh, okay, let's get to the dances. Up first was Wayne and Whitney, and they were doing a Paso Doble. And I'm not going to go over details of these dances, especially the ones that get 40s, because the judges have no criticism then. It's just all happy, glowing terms. We got a lot to talk about. And really, you don't need my opinion on these dancers anymore in depth. I don't even know how much I gave you really throughout the season, but we've talked about them long enough. We know who the good dancers are. We know who should be in the finals. Um, I know we all have our favorites, but if you would objectively look at it 
and look at the best dancers. Uh, you know, and some people don't like that we've got dancers that have train, training uh, prior to this, but that's an old, old gripe. And we've been hearing that for years and years and years on the show. So uh, my thinking is the best dancer needs to win. And uh, for the most part, I think we all agree uh, who the best dancers are. <laughs> Again, we might have our favorites or something, but if you look at it technically. So let's look at the Paso Doble for Wayne and Whitney. Uh, you know, the Paso is a very uh, aggressive dance. It's, uh, you know, you do a lot of big steps in it and stomps and, and posture is really important. Of course, that's, you could say a lot of this with about all the dances, but uh, it is one of the more aggressive dances. They always call it the man's dance. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Wayne, uh, Wayne and Whitney went and Len started it off, of course, as always. And he said, uh, he said there was a few stumbles and he wasn't so sure about the twist and turns, uh, on a few things, not real, uh, specific on the criticisms, but you know, he was still giving Wayne some, and that's, that's nice to see, or some critiques, I guess you should say. Uh, Carrie Ann said it needed more grounding, you know, uh, you gotta, <laughs> I guess that's one of those terms that I don't know exactly how to explain. I think I know what it is kind of, but you just need to ground yourself more, I guess, rather than just kind of be light on top of the dance floor. Uh, let's see. Uh, Derek said his shoulders rolled forward and his hips to be more, uh, let's see, needed to be more forward and not out. Uh, let's see. Oh, they gave him four nines for the night. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be a little scattered here because I'm reading my notes really for the first time since I wanted to get this out to you so fast. Uh, I may do a little more heat, huh, and then and hoeing. <laughs> no, just, you know, starting and stopping and reading my notes here because I only got to watch the show really one time and it was on my phone. Usually I like to watch the show a couple times before I come to you guys. So I really am confident of what I'm talking about. But uh, at the show itself, it's so loud and there's so much going on. It's hard to really focus on what the judges are saying. Half the time you can't hear them anyways. And uh, uh, I was watching it on my phone, like I said, and that wasn't the best viewing and abil uh, availability to take notes either. So you'll bear, have to bear with me as I get through the, these uh, dances tonight. Um, so they had a few critiques for Wayne, uh, but in general, Wayne's a good dancer and they all liked it. They gave him four nines for a 36. I think that's very reasonable and a very good score for Wayne. And when they went up and talked to, uh, Alfonso, Wayne and Whitney, Whitney announced that she's expecting baby number two. So, uh, probably won't be seeing her next year. I say that, but yeah, 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 sure we won't. Cause obviously she must be very, not very far along and yeah, she probably wouldn't be back. Wouldn't. Wouldn't be back by next September. Uh, let's see here. Second up for the evening was Daniel and Britt, and they did it a Viennese waltz for their first dance. And uh, let's see, Derek had a comment about his right arm was too far around and his frame was not wide enough. And Len said it was a bit skippy and that it lacked fin some finesse. And they gave him three nines along with Len giving him an eight for a total of 35 for Daniel. Uh, Shangela and Gleb were up next. They also did a Paso, as Wayne and Whitney did. Did I say Shangela? It's Shangela. I, God, here I am at this late. Oh, boy. It's late in the night. I'm jet lagged. <laughs> Forgive me, folks. I know it's not the end of the world, but Shangela and Gleb did a Paso. Uh, at the very beginning of it, uh, Shangela did a little solo, and that's always impressive to me. Uh, I guess it's late in the season, and you probably feel confident to do it. Still, you're out there by yourself, and 
I liked it a lot, and I think that takes a lot of guts. Bruno said that uh, the dance, she uh, missed a pass. Uh, let's see. Uh, Derek basically agreed with Bruno and said there must have been something that was missed there that those guys obviously spotted. And then uh, Carrie Ann praised him and or her and said, uh, you don't dance in fear. And boy, that's the one thing you can say about Sh- Shangela is that, no, there's no uh, fear out of her. She just goes out there and gives it her all. And it's fun to watch that. And it's very rare to see uh, something like that on this show. Most people are pretty reserved and especially the non-dancers, they, they seem to dance with some fear. And that's just a you know a common thing we all would do if we'd never had dance experience. Uh after that third dance, Derek did one of his master classes that we've talked about a couple times this season. I love that. He comes out on the dance floor in the corner and just talks about uh, two dance styles, and then they have a couple pros in the background uh, dancing the style. And as I mentioned earlier in the season, man, I wish we would have had this early on in the show's history because so many dance moves they would comment on the judges and you'd be like, well, what is that? What is that move? What is that terminology? And Derek comes out there and he explains it. And then they show the dancers in the background and here's that move. And he was doing the waltz and the Viennese waltz, the difference between the two. And uh, uh, basically the waltz is, is a very slow, slow dance compared to the Viennese waltz. It's more rise and fall, I guess. The Viennese waltz is a quicker dance and they have all these different moves in them that like all the dances do, that I don't know. And uh, to get some help with the master class, uh, Derek brought out the head judge, Len Goodman, and uh, Len loves the Viennese waltz and the old ballroom dances for sure. And one of his favorite moves is called the fleckle. And I've heard him mention that many times over the seasons. Oh, you put in a fleckle for me when he was talking, you know, in the critique section. And we're like, what's a fleckle? What's a fleckle? So you can go look it up, of course. But we got to see it last night. And uh, let's see, I think it was Pasha and Daniela, husband and wife team, doing it behind him. And it was fun to watch them do it. So uh, love those little masterclass uh, break-ins from Derek. And he'll have one of the other judges come in and do a little guest appearance. But he let let uh, Len... Uh, discussed the whole Viennese waltz last night. Okay, up fourth, uh, back to the dances was Charlie and Mark, and they did a Viennese waltz. And not much to say here. We all know how great Charlie is. They gave her four tens, uh, deservedly so. It was unbelievable. Carrie Ann said it was so emotional. She got so emotional, which she does in some of these dances. Uh, Lynn Goodman said it took his breath away. And... (sighs) It's just everything she does is really, really good. She's going to go down in history as a top 10 female dancer of all time. I'm going to have to revisit my list now to see where to plug her in there. And uh, Bruno said it was one of the best waltzes, uh, Viennese waltzes in history. Uh, Derek went on about, you know, she has the look of a ballroom dancer. You know, she's so good that there is a look to it. And when you're a master technician at it, which she appears to be, she looks like a ballroom dancer, means a pro, basically. And her attention to detail, of course, is off the charts. As, and Mark drills that into her, and she can pick it up and then perform it. So we've heard it so many times throughout the season. Like like I said, Bruno said this was one of the best Viennese waltzes in history. I think we talked about that with their Foxtrot. I think there was another dance we talked that about. Uh, we're going to have to revisit her dances at the end of the season and see where she really does rank in the greatest females of all time. Uh, Like I said, got a 40, of course. Trevor and Emma were up next with a cha-cha. And, uh, you know, Trevor and uh, Daniel were the two last non-dancers 
you know, in the competition, and they still look that way at times. They've done great. They've both done great. They both improved so much. So proud of both of them. Uh, you know, Daniel, how can you do it with your no hearing, and Trevor with your phobia of dance? So it's been great to watch them grow and develop, uh, but they still have mistakes. And Len pointed one out. He said it lacked rhythm. The footwork was hit and miss. Uh, Derek said the same thing, basically, and said, you know, they were flat-footed. Um, you know, uh, there's just a few mistakes that he's still making. Carrie Ann did come up with a positive thing and said uh, it was a very confident dance. And that's great to see in him because when you have a phobia of dance, as he apparently did at the very beginning, to develop a confidence in that now, uh, that's always the thing dancers or non-dancers talk about when you go try to do something you don't think you can do. And imagine like, Trevor, and I can imagine it because I feel like I have a phobia of it too. Uh, you go face that and then you start to do well at it. I can't imagine the feeling of accomplishment and it, it, it's got to change your life in some respects. And Trevor said that on the show too, that this experience has changed his life. We've heard that too from very many uh, contestants in the past. So uh, Trevor and Emma uh, got four eights and you know, I think that was about right, and it was great to see the judges do that at this late stage. This is when they've kind of gone crazy in recent years and and just started giving people high scores in the semifinals and then forget it in the finals. Everybody gets 10s, and it's like that's not helping anything. It's not helping the process of finding a, a, a true champion. Uh, it's putting all the, the emphasis on the fan vote, which we don't want, and so it was nice to see them uh, – still giving critiques in the semifinals and still scoring appropriately as Trevor and Emma got a 32. Up uh, last in the first round were Gabby and Val. They did a waltz. Uh, Len Goodman said it, the control and artistry uh, needed with the slow waltz. It's not an easy thing to do, and the slow waltz is the waltz. And they just, all of them gushed all over it and... Uh, they just had positive glowing things to say about it. So you know what they're going to get. They're going to get a 40. And that was deserved too. I'm not saying you shouldn't give 40s to people that do 40 dances, but not everybody does 40 dances every year. And I could go back and give you examples where the judges have just gone nuts. Hopefully it doesn't happen next week either. But uh, we are down to four really good dancers. So it, it may be warranted in some cases. We'll see how it goes. Okay, after that first round of dances, uh, there was a little pause, and uh, for those of you that watch the show, you all know this, and then even if you didn't watch the show, I'm sure you've heard it. Uh, Len announced that this was going to be his last season, and uh, you know there was kind of a, uh, what's the word, a gasp in the ballroom, I guess, when he announced it. Um, I, I wasn't surprised at all, and it was funny, you know, in that open that I played tonight in this show, uh, I had planned that before I went to see the show. And it was when the musers were talking to me about Len Goodman retiring way back in season 21. And uh, you heard the little bit at the top of the show. Uh, you knew it was just a matter of time. And my God, the guy's 78. So it wasn't a shock to me at all. Um, I thought he might try to go one more season because season 32 is supposed to be, you know, given and we're supposed to have it on Disney Plus. And I thought he might just say, well, let's just do this last one and then uh, I'll call it a day. But um, it didn't surprise me for another reason. Number one, he's 78. And number two, 
You know, he always said, of course, he wants to spend more time with his family, like all retiring athletes and people do. And it may be true, but, uh, and I, I don't want to say this in a harsh way, uh, because we all get old and believe me, I know it. And, you know, things change on us, but, um, I've done a lot of research on this show to put my top 10 list together. And it involves going back and looking at judges' comments. As you guys know, I play a lot of judges' comments in my top 10 list. And I saw many times when I would go back and watch these things, and it was actually kind of emotional to me because you saw Len as as an older man still, but as a very, um, I don't know what the right word is. I don't want to say virile, but as a very productive, engaging man. And his uh, his appearance, his mannerisms, his speech was uh, uh, better than, you know, it was as a younger man. And now, uh, you know, I hadn't seen Len in um, nine or 10 months since the last season. And he he looks old to me now. And he is old, he's 78. But I think we all hit this barrier, especially when you haven't seen someone for a while and you're like, oh my God, you know, that person got old on us and it happens to everyone and it's just part of life. But, uh, uh, you know, his skin color has changed quite a bit from when I was watching these older videos and some of these videos, you know, weren't that old, they were five or six years ago. Um, but he had so much more color. His face was more well-rounded. He just wasn't as skinny as he is now. And it's just, you know, he's kind of got the look of an older, older person now. And uh, I'm sure it's tough on him. You know, his home is in England and I I don't know what he does. I don't know if he travels back and forth now. You know, he always used to do that when he did the Strictly Come Dancing show, which he stopped in 2016. But um, it's probably hard if he is traveling back and forth every week for an older gentleman like that. And, you know, just watching him over the years, you know, I've been to so many shows and I watch stuff in the ballroom. I watch production people and I watched Tom and Aaron in the, you know, back time. And I watched the judges and uh, just when Len would walk around or come out to the judges table, he did it with a confident stride. And now it's more of a, I don't want to say shuffling along, but he's walking like an older man now. And uh, it's just one of the things in life we all have to deal with eventually and it's sad for me. It was sad for me back in season 21. But then we had hope, as you heard me in the opening monologue say, uh, when I talked to the musers way back then, hey, he's going to come back. We got hope he's going to come back in season 22 because that would have been the spring season and Strictly Come Dancing wouldn't have been going on then. And he did. And so Len was back and all was right with the world. He had to miss season 29 also because of the COVID restrictions. So still sad but not a surprise to me. And uh, it's going to be real interesting to see what they decide to do uh, next season. Uh, will they just go with a three-person judge or a judging panel, you know, and just leave it as Carrie Ann and, and uh, Derek and Bruno? Will they not have a head judge? You don't really have to have a head judge if there's only three judges voting for the judges save. Each person gets a vote and you'll always have either a three to nothing or a two to one vote. Um, I've heard all kinds of names out there already, and this is just Twitter stuff, so I don't even want to get into them, but, you know, former pros on the show, uh, Mark's mother, Mark Ballas's mother, who's on the Strictly Come Dancing show, I believe now, and Shirley Ballas, you know, she's a legend in, in dancing, um, saw a real nice tweet from her praising Len, I guess Len taught her way back in the day, and so, yeah, sorry to see Len go, but, uh, 
uh, all good things come to an end. And he's meant so much to the show. My favorite judge by far. I shouldn't say by far. I love them all. I've loved all of them. And uh, I'm so glad they've all been there since day one, basically. You know, they all have their own strengths. Len's the old school master of the craft, kind of grumpy at times, but he doesn't let people get away with things. Uh, Bruno's the the flamboyant wordsmith that comes up with great entertainment in his critiques. And then Carrie Ann's kind of the the softer, more emotional side of uh, the two of those two. And uh, I think they've all been great. And there's a reason they've been here for 31 seasons. Uh, I'm not the only one that thought they were great. Okay, so uh, that ended the first group, uh, and Len made his announcement. Then they went on to the second group of dances. Uh, up first was uh, Wayne and Whitney. Did they keep the same order? They did, yeah. So Wayne and Whitney, that's the first time I've noticed that. See, usually I would have seen that on my notes much sooner. Yeah, they kept the same order. Makes sense, I guess. Wayne and Whitney did a Viennese waltz. Uh, Wayne started uh, uh, singing This Is a Man's World out there by himself. That guy's so multi-talented, you know, he can do everything. So he sang the first few bars of that, and then they launched into the dance. Again, the judges weren't just rubber stamping him with tens. Uh, Len said it lacked a little content. Uh, Derek said the frame gets a little small from time to time, and his hand does some weird things. Uh Bruno said there's still a few details it needs to work on technically. And then Carrie Ann said, Carrie Ann came on and said, I disagree with the men and I don't know what they're talking about. So she gave him a 10. The other three guys gave him a nine. So he had a 37 for that second dance. Up next with Daniel and Britt, they did a samba. A uh, very tough dance in general, and I don't know how Daniel can do things not hearing, but we've seen it before a couple times on the show. So uh, it's still amazing, though, when you see it. And uh, it's it's a very intricate dance. You know, rhythm and musicality are just so paramount in that dance with a lot of bouncing in it. And to have him do as well as he did was really great. Uh, this is where I was a little disappointed in the judges. None of them had any critiques for him at all, really. Uh, but they were all positive comments and just amazement that he can do what he do does without hearing anything. So I thought, man, are they going to give him huge scores? Well, they gave him two eights and two nines. So especially the two eights, I wish they, those judges would have said, hey, you know, here's what was wrong still and blah, blah, blah. But they didn't. So uh, they gave him a 34 for the evening. Up next, Shangela and uh, Gleb, they did a Viennese waltz. Let's see here. Bruno said the underarm turn, something happened in the underarm turn. So he wasn't sure what it was a little bit, but something happened. Uh, let's see here. There, uh, Len made a comment about the head was just a little bit off. Uh, you know, it's a very exact move this this and uh, frame that this Viennese waltz has. And you got to have your head back a certain way and everything. And then Derek kind of agreed with it. And he said the head was a little congested. Shangela made a funny comment about that. I'm not sure what head a little congested means. Maybe she didn't know either. <laughs> but uh, Carrie Ann just said that uh, she's always a crowd pleaser. Uh, let's see. Uh, Carrie Ann loved it. They gave her, she gave him a 10. And then uh, three guys gave him a nine. So uh, let's give her a nine. So they had a total of 37 for Shangela's and Gleb's Viennese Waltz. Boy, <laughs> I think the uh, jet lag's getting to me a little. Uh, <laughs> up next, uh, Charlie and Mark, they did a pasta doble. Uh, Mark started it off with a guitar. He played the guitar in it, and Charlie did a solo out there. And so impressed, like I said, with solos at any time. <clears throat> Excuse me again. 
Uh, Carrie Ann loved it so much. They all loved it, but Carrie Ann came out and gave them both a hug because she just was so moved by it. And uh, Derek Huff called it, uh, uh, let's see here, an iconic dance. And he even mentioned how many times they've said things about her dances this year that she's had multiple exceptional dances. And uh, I got to go back and, like I said, look at her uh, group of dancing at the end of this and how many of her dances are going to zoom in the top 10 for their own, uh, you know, uh, individual styles. I can remember, I think it was the Foxtrot. Well, I kind of remember. I think it was the Foxtrot that I just loved so much. So I can't wait to go back and look at all her dances again and see how good she really was and is. And, of course, the judges gave her four tens for a 40. Up next, Trevor and Emma with the Viennese Waltz. Uh, let's see here. Len said it was a bit skippy and it needed more flowing movement. And Derek kind of agreed with it. Uh, and Carrie Ann made a little interesting comment. And I, I think I know what she was trying to say. It kind of came off, off as weird. She was uh, praising him and everything. But she said that uh, you are one that we have left that has never danced before and it's showing. So I think she was kind of saying that, yeah, you you still are making mistakes. But she went on to praise him and... and uh, you know, they're all very happy with his uh, uh, growth, and so am I. Uh, Carrie Ann gave him a nine, and the three guys gave him eights. So he had a score of 33 for Trevor and MS Viennese Waltz. And then uh, Gabby and Val did a Paso Doble to end the night. Uh, let's see, it was a perfect 40, not too much to say again. Uh, Carrie Ann, intensity and ferocity. Uh, Bruno was so uh, excited about it, he said it was like a pressure curse. Pressure cooker out there, and uh, he just had to rip open his shirt there but at the, as he was judging. So leave it to Bruno to always entertain us when it's time to, to score. So they gave uh, Gabby and Val a 40. So at the end of the evening, the judges' scorecard, Charlie and Gabby had 80s, two perfect dances. Wayne and Shangela had 73, uh, a little bit of a gap there like that. If it's, if it's supposed to be that way, and I think it was last, last night. And then uh, Daniel and Trevor uh, brought up the rear. Daniel had 69 and Trevor a 65. And that's a pretty good gap there for the semifinals. And I'm so happy to see that if that's the way it should be. And I really feel like it should have been. And I agreed with, with all their scoring, basically. So uh, when you have a double elimination, you know, you go to the very last person after you add in the fan votes. And there's no judges safe here. And here's where I was on pins and needles. Please, it cannot be Charlie. It cannot be Gabby. It cannot be Wayne. It cannot be Shangela. In my opinion, those are the four dancers that should be in the final. And thankfully, it wasn't. Uh, the very bottom went to Trevor. And so Trevor goes home without a judges save. And then uh, that left in the bottom two, uh, Shangela and Daniel. So Wayne and Shangela were tied on the judges' scorecard, so that tells you that Wayne is doing better in the fan vote than Shangela. And that's not a good omen for Shangela going into next week because I don't think you you gain a whole bunch of fan votes from the semifinals to the finals. But it's Shangela and Daniel, and I guess I kind of let the cat out of the bag. Uh, the, unanim the judges unanimously voted to save Shangela, and that meant Daniel goes home. So Daniel and Trevor go home for the evening. I think that's the right move, the righteous move. I was very happy. I've been very happy with the season overall. Sure, you can quibble here and there that this person should have lasted another week or two, blah, blah, blah. But my ultimate goal every year as a fan of 
getting the best answers into the final is that the best answers get into the final. Obviously, the ju- the fans vote then, and the judges don't differentiate much, so it becomes more of a fan vote then. And I think that's the best of both worlds. You get the best answers, let the fans decide, basically, in the finale, and that's fine. I'm fine with that because that means you're going to have a representative good dancer for that season. And as I've argued the entire history of the show, for 26 seasons, you could say we had a legitimate, valid uh, champion. And then, of course, that all went to hell in 27, and it's been a struggle since to uh, stop things like that from happening. But it's not happening this season. So that's a that's a good thing for me as a uh, keeper of the greater good and, uh, what's the word, uh, validating the show. I know there's a better word, but I can't think of it. I'm jet-lagged head. <laughs> okay. So let's see here. What do we got next? <laughs> oh, yes. Here's what we got next. Yeah, here's where sometimes I would do ticket audio. Sometimes I would have done, um, let's see, what would I have done? <laughs> oh, Dancing with the Stars talk. Uh, I think I told you guys this season I was going to try to get a couple guests, and obviously that didn't work out. Uh, for one of the guests, because uh, that person had a ton of stuff going on in their life that just started just before the season started. I had confirmed that that guest was going to come on. They had agreed and said, anytime, we'd love to do it. And then their life changed dramatically and for the better, or, you know, for their better. And I wasn't able to be a guest on this season's show for me. Uh, if and when we do a season 32 podcast next year, uh, I will try to get that guest back on. And then I had another guest I was going to try to get on, and uh, I emailed her, and she showed said that she would be glad to come on too. Uh, for those of you, I might as well tell you, I guess, uh, <laughs> I was going to have Kristen Bird on. And you guys that know Dancing with the Stars, she's like one of the main uh, go-to sources for me for information about Dancing with the Stars. And uh, I never met her. And I never thought that she would give me the time of day. Not not because she's not a nice person, but she's busy and she doesn't know who I am. And one of the uh, followers I have on Twitter uh, put it out there, wouldn't it be great if T- Kristen Burt could get, come on your show and you guys could talk Dancing with the Stars? And he copied Kristen on it. And I wrote back and I said, Kristen, I love that idea anytime, anywhere or something. <laughs> And I couldn't believe it. She uh, tweeted back and said, "You know, email me and we'll we'll work we'll work something out." And I got super excited. And so I sent her an email right away. And again, busy person doesn't know me from Adam. And I didn't hear from her for weeks. And uh, we got into I think it was uh, mid October, and she finally uh, got back to me and apologized for not getting back to me. Uh, very sweet of her to do that. I'm sure she's extremely busy right now. She doesn't work on just Dancing with the Star stuff. She works on all kinds of reality shows, and uh, that's her career. And uh, uh, I wanted to get back with her, but then I was sick for six weeks, and I had to do abbreviated shows, and I wasn't up to doing it, and my voice was bad. And so, uh, again, I'm going to try to get her on next season, too, if, if we do another podcast. So uh, this is where... I was going to do a couple things like that, but uh, since that didn't work and I'm kind of tired of doing ticket audio and I'm kind of tired of talking about the show, I wanted to do something a little different tonight. Uh, we are going to go long because of this, I'm afraid, but again, if you don't want to hear it, just zoom through it. But I'm going to talk about some music here a little bit, and 
you're like, what? This is, this is not music show. It's Dancing with the Stars on the Ticket stuff. <laughs> I know. I just kind of told you what happened, though. And I wanted to go in this direction because I went and saw Elton John uh, uh, last week also. So, again, the jet lag. I've been going here, moving and grooving. I've went since last week's show. I went and saw Elton John out in Phoenix, flew back, and then went out to L.A. And Elton John's been one of my, I guess, I don't know, heroes because, you know, you guys know I'm, I'm a 70s, 80s guy. And Elton John was big in the 70s and 80s. And he just produced hit after hit after hit. He was on the radio all the time. And I was more of a radio guy than an album guy or an eight track or cassette guy. So I tended to go towards people who were on the radio. And Elton was the first concert I ever went to back in 1979. He was the second concert I went to back in 1980, both of them at my college, Purdue University. And I was just hooked beyond belief. I went to a ton more concerts of his over the years. But I hadn't seen Elton in quite a while, probably 10, 15 years. And this is his last U.S. Uh, concert tour is what he says. He's 75. And I saw him, like I said, 10, 15 years ago, and I'm thinking... Even then, I'm like, he can't do what he did in the 70s with his voice, but it was still good. It was just different. You know, Benny and the Jets sounds a lot different, and some most most of his songs sound a lot different because he can't reach the falsetto and the high pitch, and, you know, Crocodile Rock's a lot different. And That doesn't mean it's bad. It's just different. And I thought his voice was still great 15 years ago whenever I went, and I'm like, he's going to have to have lost something. Folks, I'm telling you, man, I was blown away by that concert in Phoenix, uh, the guy went two full hours before he came back for an encore, and I think he did three songs in the encore. That's a long time to be out there. He's been on a long tour. He's 75 years old, and man, he can still bring it. And even though he's done in America, he's talking about going to, uh, well, he is going to go to Europe to finish up next year. And I'm already looking at some of those dates because I would love to go here one more time. And, uh, you know, it's kind of the end of an era again, you know. Everything as you get older gets taken from you, uh, your health and your friends and, and your peers and the people you admired. And uh, he's just another one that's that's uh, not going to get to see again in person. So I'd love to do it again. But anyways, that made me think about music. And I had planned on doing this at some point. And I'm just going to do it here. So this is going to take a little while, but I want to talk about um, the musers, the ticket guys again, because... What they did or always did on their morning show is they had the biggest show coming to town. Dallas is a big city. It's got a lot of uh, musical acts and they would cover them and, they, and then they would vote on who they thought the biggest show was. Well, when COVID hit, everything went away and they changed their segment to Bands of My Life and they brought in other employees at the radio station. I never got to go on with them. That's why I'm doing this now. <laughs> and uh, celebrities in town. And they would come on and they ask them like six or seven questions or eight or 10 questions. And it was about what's your favorite band? What's your least favorite band? Who's most underrated? Who's most overrated? And they had all these lists of questions. And then they played a little clip from each of them. And you got to know um, the musical styles of these people. And I thought it was really cool. So I'm going to do that here. I'm only going to play, you know, little snippets of the music because this is going to take a while. But uh, I just kind of wanted to do it, peel back that onion of onion skin of Tony the Engineer a little bit more. And you could probably guess all my musical acts are going to be from the 70s and 80s. So that's uh, letting the cat out of the bag there a little bit. So if you're too young, although I would say, listen to this, you might introduce you to something you like. And that was the thing. A lot of the musers guests were young people. And so they had younger people music, stuff from the 90s and 2000s and 
And I'm like, you need to get some of us olders on here and introduce these young folks to some of this old classic stuff. And uh, so that's what we're going to do here. Um, I'm going to group a couple of their questions together. This first one is going to be the first grouping here. It's uh, they had one that said most, uh, they think they used hated. I don't like that word, but most not liked band and most uh, overrated band. I'm going to group those together for my band here. There's a band that I do not get. I never will get. Um, I'm not going to say I hate them because I don't know anything about them except the music I don't like. But um, I'm saying they're overrated because to me, that's a compliment almost because you don't get to be overrated unless you're really, really good at what you do. And I guess these guys are really, really good at what they do. You know, uh, I just don't get it, and it doesn't appeal to me. But uh, we're just going to play some music here, and you'll know right away who this is, I'm sure. Boy, when I hear this start on the radio, it is such a fast click out. <clears throat> yeah, I, I don't want to wait forever, but you know what it is. This is you too. And I guess U2 is fantastic. I guess they're considered one of the greatest bands ever. So I can, oh, I guess they got great voices. I guess they write great music. I guess they're great musical <laughs> instrument players. But I just, it just doesn't, just doesn't resonate with me. Uh, I'm looking at this video now and all their videos seem to be black. Oh, there's some color. But they, they're always wearing dark black clothing. Uh, they're not attractive people. <laughs> the backgrounds are always gray, it seems like. It depresses me. Their music depresses me. I want music that makes me smile and, you know, tap my feet and, and snap my fingers and, and, I don't know, feel good about things. I don't feel good about things when I listen to these guys. And here's another one, immediate click out. Oh, let's turn that up a little. Gonna have to play with the volumes here so you hear a little bit. <sighs> Whether without you. Again, I feel like I just took depressive drugs. Okay, you're all great at what you do. Oof, I do not get it. Overrated and bands I don't like. And it's not the band I don't like, I just don't like the music they play. Listen to that. Just so depressed and slow, and he's wearing black in this again, and it's dark and it's gray and it's depressed. I think of a horror movie almost when I see this. I can't take it anymore. Now, all you guys that love uh, you two out there, you're cussing me out. And I get it. I get it. We all have uh, our own opinions about things. Okay, so I'm going to go to the most liked band, the the polar opposite with of of uh, what I just heard. Tell me, how can you not like this? Here it goes. There we go. I don't have a problem letting this go on a little bit. Of course, this is the great Earth, Wind & Fire. Uh, my favorite band of all time, obviously, so that's why it's on this in this category. The vast majority of their songs to me are upbeat and positive. I want to snap my fingers. I want to stamp my feet. I got a smile on my face. And if you've ever watched some of their videos, wow. <laughs> they wear wild clothes, colorful clothes. They have a horn section. The guys can just groove and dance like nobody's business. And uh, I just love everything that... Uh, 
Earth, Wind, and Fire does. I don't, I'm sure there's some songs I don't care for as much, but uh, everything they do for the most part, I do absolutely love. And uh, here's another one. I mean, we could just go down the list. Boogie Wonderland here. They sang this with the Emotions, a female group of three sisters, I believe. Looking at the video now, they're all dressed in their wild outfits and dancing around with smiles on their faces. The ladies look great, they're colorful. You know, there's color, there's people moving around. They're happy. Look at the horn section, guys. <laughs> Again, the polar opposite, opposite of you two. The great Maurice White there, rest in peace on lead vocals. Oh man, I gotta stop because I can listen to this whole thing. We better stop because we're gonna run out of time, of course. So that's the band I like the most. Uh, we talked about U2 was kind of not liked and overrated. Here's my most underrated band and how these guys are not in the Rockable Roll Hall of Fame, I don't know. There's a lot of non-traditional rock and roll acts in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This is a group called Chic. We had them in a... Uh, Andrew's song earlier in the year. One of my favorites of them. They had so many great hits. This was called Everybody Dance. Again, just snapping the fingers and tapping my feet. I'm looking at the video. Chic also dressed impeccably. The men, uh, the two guys, uh, the two lead guitarists and bassist, Nile uh, Rogers and Bernie Edwards, always dressed in suit and tie and vest and just looking so sharp and classy. The female singers in the group always looked sharp. Uh, then, of course, they got this nasty, and I mean it in a good way, funk, soul, R&B, disco groove that, of course, was my, my cup of tea when it comes to music. So that is Everybody Dance. I have a fondness of this song even more these days because this was the song that the uh, Dancing with the Stars, hey, this is bringing it back to Dancing with the Stars. The uh, 10th anniversary show used this song at the very end and they brought everybody out, all the former pros that came back, all the former celebrities that came back. Hell, they got the judges out there. Tom Bergeron went out there and they had a dance uh, specifically for this. So Everybody Dance by Chic. And then Sheik had so many great hits. Here's another one that I know you'll recognize. Another gigantic hit from Sheik. And I'm looking at this video too. The lead singers are dressed in like just classy outfits, the two women, the guys in their suits. They always usually have um, violinists in their band too. They have three female violinists just giving it that awesome sound. And of course, Sheik was uh, so big in the disco era. And of course, I have a fondness for that, you know. Okay, my most underrated band, Sheik. All right, let's go to the band that surprised me the most. 
Um, I kind of wondered when they did this on the Musers, what do they really mean by that? I guess it's that you heard them for the first time and you're like, wow, they have a different sound than I'm used to hearing. And uh, that's what these guys had. Timers will know this. This is Electric Light Orchestra. The great Jeff uh, Lynn on lead vocals there. Uh, listen to their name, Electric Light Orchestra. They had an orchestra with them when they did music. And you heard all the different orchestral instruments. And then listen to this. This is different. This is something I had never really heard of in the mid-70s. I was either listening to disco or hard rock or classic rock, I guess you'd say. This is so different. Another group I got to go see, they were at the Hollywood Bowl a few years back. ELO had not toured for 30 years. And I didn't know they ever would again. Now they're touring with something called Jeff Lynn's ELO, I think. And uh, the Hollywood Bowl in California, which was part of my, uh, was it part of my Dancing with the Stars trip? I can't remember now. To go out there to the show, it might have been, but uh, that's a really cool place to see them. And man, Jeff Lynn sounds great still. And uh, they had the LA Philharmonic Orchestra out there. I just had never heard anything quite like this before. Let's see here, let's stop that. Let's get one more in here for them. Uh, there we go. This is another song's called, that one was called Living Thing, the first one. This is called All Over the World, and I'm looking at the violinists again and all the orchestra people in the back. Incredible. I swear Jeff looks the same as he did <laughs> 40 years ago, 50 years ago, geez. And then uh, he had a guy that was with him. I want to say it was Richard Tandy. I could be wrong on that, but as keyboardist, and he's really old too, but uh, they sound so great still. And of course, with that orchestra backing them up, uh, unique sound, all their music is such a unique sound. Uh, ELO, my, the band that surprised me the most. Let's see here, what do we got next? Oh, the band that changed my listening habits. Well, I wasn't a huge, what's to say, a radio listener, I guess, much before my early teens. Uh, you know, I did what little kids do, I guess, and it wasn't listening to music on radio. It was playing wiffle ball and going to baseball and going to cornfields and <laughs> looking at dirty girly magazines like all little boys did. And I don't know, I did what little boys did, played in the sand and, and uh, did stuff, but I didn't listen to music much. Well, this band, when I heard this, this introduced me to a whole new <laughs> genre of music that I had never heard of either. Like ELO kind of was the, the thing that surprised me. Uh, this band changed my listening habits. And so let me turn this up a little bit so we can hear this. And I know you'll recognize this.
Oh my God, yes. That's KC and the Sunshine Man. This band introduced me to disco. I think this came out in 75, maybe. And that was like the beginning of when I started listening to music. And uh, again, I saw these guys. Now, there were no videos back then to see them. But they were on American Bandstand, one of the few white groups, even though they had brothers in it, that was on Soul Train. And again, wild, flashy costumes, uh, dancing up a storm, a lot of color, a lot of happiness, a lot of snapping the fingers and snapping the toes. And if I would have been a dancer, disco dancing too. But KC and the Sunshine Band opened up this whole new listening thing for me, and that was the world of disco. So that, of course, is their big hit, Get Down the Night. Let's give you another one here. KC was never huge on lyrics. Uh, <laughs> they just had a few words, and they repeated them over and over again. But you couldn't beat the groove. This one, <laughs> very short song, very few words. That's called Boogie Shoes. How can this not make you smile? <laughs> of course, they had a horn section, which I love in a band. So does Earth, Wind, and Fire. And uh, sounds great. Listen to that. Sounds great. Sounds great. So, KC and the Sunshine Band, the band that changed my listening habits. A couple more here. Uh, the Musers had this one. They said, uh, if you were stranded on a deserted island, what band or artist would you like to have with you? And uh, this one could easily have been. Earth, Wind, and Fire, obviously, because it's my favorite band, and I certainly would not be upset with that. But I thought, hmm, if I'm on a deserted island, I want an unbelievable catalog of music that I like. You know, uh, Chic, that group that I like that sets underrated, you know, they probably only had five or six really big hits. So I would still love to listen to it, but, you know, I might get old if you're listening on a deserted island. I don't think I'd get tired of listening to this artist. the great Elton John. We just talked about him. He did this in the concert. Man, oh man, he has energy for a 75-year-old. He let it have it. I tell you, it was really great. Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, an early song of Elton back in the 70s. The thing about Elton, of course, for me in this deserted island bit, he's got an unbelievable number of songs that I like. I think I read somewhere that he had like 27 top 10 hits on Billboard charts. Just unbelievable. And a lot of other deeper cuts that were great music and great songs that I liked that maybe didn't even get to that level. But uh, when we were at the con, when I was at the concert, it was like everyone, gigantic hit, gigantic hit, gigantic hit for two and a half hours. It was uh, so much fun. So uh, Elton would be the guy on the uh, deserted island uh, that I would want to have his music. So you just heard that hard driving song right there. That Saturday night's all right for fighting and bitches back, you know, these hard driving songs. And then he comes out with, with uh, incredible songs that are so different. Listen to this one.
song i could let it go forever but we got to keep moving here obviously this is not a song that makes me tap my toes and want to get up and dance and put a smile on my face it's a sad song sorry seems to be the hardest word but just listening to his voice and his piano playing ability you know the video i'm watching now is just him on the piano and i'm sure he's got backup musicians but the thing that was so great about that first concert i saw at purdue and he mentioned this in his uh concert the other night in 1979 he did a tour with one other guy his percussionist ray cooper and ray cooper was there for his final tour and he mentioned that he was he when he introduced all the band members he said you know and and on percussion is ray cooper ray goes back to 1973 with me off and on and in 1979 we did a tour where it was just him and me and it was really special. And boy, it was. That was the first concert I'd ever seen. And it was the most special thing. It's still the greatest thing I've ever seen. My first concert I ever saw is my greatest concert I've ever seen. It was Elton John and Ray Cooper, just the two of them. So you had a buttload of Elton playing piano and Ray Cooper playing every percussion instrument there was. And the sound and the vibe, it was just amazing. And uh, it was different than the songs you hear on the radio, but still very recognizable. And this is just one of those amazing songs of his that I love. Okay, got to keep going. Last one here. Uh, this is uh, my guilty pleasure. Now, I'm not even sure exactly what that means when the musers would act them, ask the guests on their show. But the way I took it was it's a song that... Many people would think, oh, that's silly that you would like that. And oh, that's, and if you're a man listening to it, oh, that's, that's for girls only. But hell, what do I care, you know, because I go to Dancing with the Stars where it's 80% women. So <laughs> what do I care? Anyways, this person, it is another person rather than a band, is my guilty pleasure. Let's see, where am I at? Am I here? I'm here. <laughs> of course, is the great Barry Manilow, and uh, Elton was one of the first, well, it was the first two concerts I ever saw, and another one very early on was Barry Manilow, and this is another guy that you could take on the deserted island because his breadth and width of hits is unbelievable. It just seems like when I'd go see him in concert, one right after the other, boom, 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 hit, 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 and... Uh, just always like Barry Manilow. I think he's pushing 80 now. He's still out in Las Vegas. And when I went out and saw Derek Huff in Vegas last year, I saw the marquee for Barry and I said, gosh dang it, I gotta get out here and see him one last time too, because he's gotta be close to being done. He did say he's coming back in 2023 for his Vegas shows. So I'm gonna have to go back and see uh, Barry. 
course, this was one of his biggest hits called It's a Miracle. And let's go to one of my favorites here. And uh, it's kind of got a little disco feel, so you know it would be one of my favorites. This is Barry Manilow and... The Copacabana. Her name was Lola, she was a showgirl with yellow feathers in her hair. Yes, that is the Copacabana. I think that's one of his most popular songs ever, or maybe, I don't know if it's his most popular, but I remember in the old days, he didn't care for it very much, and he didn't play it at all his concerts that I went to, and that always bothered me. I hope he's doing it now, I don't know if he is or not, but uh, it was one of his biggest hits for sure. Barry Manilow and the Copacabana. Okay, well, that's my uh, musical <laughs> foray for the evening. I uh, hope it didn't bore you guys too much. Uh, <laughs> let's get back into some Dancing with the Stars stuff now. I wanted to do one more top 10 list. Uh, I couldn't do a couple this season because of my illness. And uh, I know we're going a little long tonight, but I uh, wanted to do one more here. Uh, we're not going to do one next week for our final show. And I wanted to do something a little, I don't know, special or different. You know, almost all my top 10 lists, the uh, judges' comments play a huge role in it because they can explain things much better than I can. You know, I, sometimes I see a song and I'm like, or a dance, and I'm like, I don't know why I like that, but I love it. And I went to the judges and, and they explained why I loved it. And I'm like, yeah, that's why I liked it. Thank you, Bruno. Thanks for saying it that way, because that's what I meant. And... Uh, I, I just wanted to do something a little different tonight. So what I decided to do is we're going to do a top 10 uh, pros, professional dancers that have been on Dancing with the Stars. And I wanted to do a little more research. I'm sorry I don't have exact numbers in front of me, but I want to say there's been about 45 to 50 professional dancers on Dancing with the Stars. Uh, many in the early seasons especially, they were one and done. I don't know if, I think maybe the early producers of the show, I could have asked Conrad Green this, you know, they maybe would want to try out a few people and hey, this didn't work and this didn't work. And then the next thing you know, around seasons four and five, they settled on a group of dancers and you started having dancers that had multiple seasons, boom, 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 boom. And that's more the way it is these days. When someone comes in and becomes a professional dancer on Dancing with the Stars, they usually stay for a long time. Obviously there's always exceptions, but, uh, I thought, wow, we need to look at the top 10 professional dancers that have been on Dancing with the Stars uh, in the history of the show. Now, um, I'm always telling you it's a very personal list when I do my top 10s, and it is. But I actually feel like, especially when I play the judges' comments, I hate to say validate, but they kind of back up what I'm thinking because most of the songs and dances that I've liked over the history of the show, the, the judges have liked too. And again, they come on and they explain it. Um, not all of them, but most of them, the judges have liked that I've liked. Well, this is very subjective because there's not going to be any judges' comments here. This is just my personal opinions again, talking about the pros that have been on the show. Uh-oh. Get that thing a little louder there. Yes, the old opinion alert got me one more time for this season because, boy, you talk about, yeah, this is very, very personal, subjective opinion. Um, 
I would like to think that most of you will agree, especially with my top ones, but if not, that's what makes the world go round. We all have differing opinions on things. So um, I'm going to start off this list, well, just in general, let me just go over a couple things that I was looking for. Uh, when I said, you know, like I had a top 10, top 10 celebrity dances on Dancing with the Stars, well, that's a lot easier than I think than coming up with a top 10, <clears throat> excuse me. Oh boy, I got to take a drink. Sorry. It's catching up to me, I think. Uh, the the pros are much harder for me to judge because they're all fantastic. I mean, how are you going to differentiate between the talent of these pros? Uh, you need to be a professional judge probably to be able to do that. So <clears throat> I'm not really looking at talent because I think they all have talent uh, per se. <coughs> Excuse me, man, it is coming back, the scratchy throat here, jeez. <clears throat> uh, so I'm not just looking at that. The main thing for me is, and I, I always felt like my number one concern and passion for this show is the greater good of the show overall. It's not my favorite dances, not my favorite dancers. It's not who I think should win over somebody else. Yeah, we all have our own personal opinions about that. I want this show to be legitimate. I want it to have real champions, and I want everyone to work for the greater good. And I know that's kind of a Pollyanna way to work to look at the world because the real world's not like that. But every once in a while, you'll find a company or a, a sports team that everybody works for a common goal, and everybody backs up each other, and everybody gives each other credit, and. It's about all for one and one for all. And I really think that if the world was more like that, we would all run more efficiently and we would be kinder to each other. And, you know, maybe again, that's a Pollyanna way to look at the world. But um, <clears throat> I want pros on this show who want to be on the show and who want to work for the greater good. And so that's part of it for me. And, you know, what makes that happen? Well, have you been on the show a long time? Longevity, I think, is important. Obviously, you're doing something right to the producers of this show if you're on there a long time. Um, another thing I look at is championships. I know that's a little tougher because the best dancers don't always win. Sometimes popular people win. But in the end, it's still a competition, and championships matter. So how many mirror balls have you won? Uh, I'm going to have a little bit of an old-school bias here. Remember, I've watched since day one. Was it June 1st? I think it was June 1st of 2005. I've seen every show multiple times. Or maybe not some of the early ones, but the later shows for sure multiple times. Uh, I feel like I have a learned opinion about some of this stuff. Does it mean I'm right? No. But the old school dancers on this show doesn't mean they're better than the new school dancers. When I say new school, I'm talking about the current group of dancers we have. Because there's really kind of two main groups of dancers we had. We had the old school group of dancers that lasted, you know, most of them till around season 20. A few went a little further, season 22 maybe. Um, but then the new uh, group of dancers took over and they're all there now. And, and a lot of them are getting long in the tooth now. So, uh, but the, the old school dancers built this show along with the judges, along with Tom, along with Conrad Green, along with everybody who had a part to play in this show. But they settled on a group of dancers, like I said. They tried a lot out in the early seasons. And you would have one or two seasons, and then they're gone. 
And then they settled on this group of core dancers and they built the show along with all the others like I talked about. So when they were done, they handed off this juggernaut of a show ratings wise over to the new pros. So there's going to be a built-in bias for me because I was there for those old pros. I watched them build this show and it doesn't mean that they're better than the newer group, but they get bonus points for building the show, if that makes sense to you guys. Uh, Maybe I've got some old time... Uh, viewers of the show out there that are listening and you'll know what I'm talking about because I'll just freely admit it. Of the top 10, I only have two what I would call new pros. And they're not new anymore, but they led the the new group of pros into uh, taking over the show. So top 10 pros of all time. Number 10 for me is Karina Smirnoff. And again, if you're not a long-term viewer of the show, you're not going to know who this is, and you're going you're to have that way with me. You're going to have that feeling with me on several of these because, yeah, she hasn't been on the show in, let's see, I have a little list here of some of their seasons. I believe season 22 was her last list, last, last season. But season three was her first. Karina was on 18 seasons of Dancing with the Stars. That's a, uh, a nice longevity record there. I believe she is the second longest tenured female on the show. And that means something to me. And it obviously meant something to the producers of the show. And Karina didn't always have great partners. So part of the greater good is you accept partners that you get that aren't that great. You know, you're not going to get great partners every year. Now, some of the men, male pros have, and we can, we'll talk about that a little bit later or almost every year, but Karina didn't always have good partners. She had some really good ones. Don't get me wrong, but, uh, she was just kind of one of those good foot soldiers that did what the show told her to do. And, uh, she was there for 18 seasons. She got one championship, one Mirabal trophy with J.R. Martinez in season 13. And she had two great dancers with her, in my opinion. Season three, her first season, Mario Lopez, where she finished second to Emmett Smith, uh, or they finished second. And then Corbin Blue in season 17, who I have Corbin Blue, I believe, is still the second greatest male dancer in the history of the show. And she finished in second that season also. And this is the one that... that I kind of, I don't want to say hold against her, but she should have won that season with Corbin. And she didn't. That was uh, Amber Riley's season with Derek. And to me, that's great, Derek's greatest victory because Amber Riley wasn't the best dancer that season. She was good, really good. Should she have been in the finals? Yes. There were a lot of really good dancers there. Uh, Corbin Blue was there. Elizabeth Berkeley was there. Christina Milian was there, just to name a few. Uh, so Karina just got the one. And she would have been higher up on my list, obviously, if she would have won a couple more. But it's hard to win a Mirabal trophy. As you're going to see, everybody has only one or two, except for (laughs) the one we all know has more than that. (laughs) But uh, uh, I just always thought Karina was was a good uh, long-term pro to have on the show. Now, you know, you've got Whitney and Emma and Lindsay, the current group of females, and Sharna and Peta. They've all been on a long time. Of course, they're all getting pregnant now, and they're all leaving. And they're not anywhere near 18 seasons, though, that uh, that Karina has. So uh, I think it's important to recognize longevity because it matters to the show and the, the success of the show. So give me Karina at number 10. Number nine, another old school brother, Tony Dovolani. 21 seasons, the most tenured male pro in the history of the show. You might think he would be a little higher. Well, he only has one championship 
And that is Melissa Rycroft in season 15. Um, Tony, I, I wish he was higher, but I can't put him higher because he didn't have a lot of success with his partners. And it's not his fault. Uh, he was given some of the worst partners ever in the history of the show, especially for someone who's been on the show a long time. Now, he's had a couple great ones, too. Stacey Keebler, Melissa Rycroft. But, man, after that, he's just had, you know, middle-of-the-pack people or really, really bad people. And, and I don't mean bad people, bad dancers on the show. Um, let's just go through a list of some of these. Kate Gosselin. And some of these people had really bad attitudes about being on the show, too. Uh, Kate Gosselin. Uh, Wendy Williams. Ooh, Martina Navratilova, bless her heart, a really sweet person, awful dancer. Uh, Winona Judd, I think she was in my top 10 bad, worst female dancers of all time, along with Martina. Yeah, I think when, when I did that list, I think I did it last year, Tony had five of the top 10 worst female dancers in the history of the show, in my opinion. I feel bad for the guy. Um, Nene Lakes, ooh. Betsy Johnson, oh my God. Uh, Kim Zolciak, Marla Maples. You could go down the list of dancers that weren't very good that he had. And you talk about a loyal foot soldier. He just took it. Every year he had people with either no dance experience or, or not good dancers or dancers with bad attitudes. And bless his heart, that guy was there for the greater good. <laughs> so Tony has to be on my list, uh, but he's only going to make number nine. Number eight on my list, this is one of the new wave pros who's really kind of gone now, although she was there this season, Peter Murgatroyd. Been on the show 14 seasons, two-time champion. That's important uh, in my world. Um, and she did it with dancers that weren't really the best dancers in her season. I think that's important too. There's all kinds of things here. If you have a very good dancer, the best dancer, or one of the best, you better be in the finals or you better win. Um, conversely, if you don't have the best dancers and you win, that's a bonus point because you really did something. Uh, she won with Donald Driver in season 14 and, uh, Donald wasn't the best dancer. You could argue he was maybe fourth best dancer. Uh, I think, uh, uh, what was her name? Um, Catherine Jenkins was better. Uh, William Levy was better. I don't have all these guys in front of me. Uh, Maria Menounos, you could argue was better. Hell, Rashawn Fagan was really good, and we didn't get to see him very long because he was voted off pretty early. All I'm saying is, Peter won with not the best dancer that season. Donald was great. Don't get me wrong. I think he's the greatest football player dancer that's been on the show. Uh, but <clears throat> that was that's always a, another bonus point when you win with someone who's not the best dancer. And then she won also in season 22 with Niall DeMarco. Uh, Paige Van Zandt was the best dancer that season, I believe. But I understand why Niall won. He did it as a deaf person, and he was really good. And so I had no problem with him winning. I had no problem with Donald Driving winning. You just need to have people that are good dancers. They don't have to be the best, but they need to be good dancers if you're going to have them win a season. Uh, and then another thing about Peter that I liked, <clears throat> boy, that frog is coming back or that congestion. <clears throat> She, along with Val, to me, Val Trumkowski, they were the alpha male and female of that next group of pros that came in. I remember uh, the opening number to season 17, and it started with a uh, inside of the backseat of a limo. You had Derek Huff in the middle, the Undisputed King, and then, I'm sorry, not in the middle. You had Peta in the middle, and then you had Derek Huff there with her, the Old King, and then you had Val in there with them, 
the new king. And I was like, here's Derek, the old king, getting ready to pass it off to the new king and queen, Val and Peta. And so Peta deserves a lot of props and bullet points for that also. So I got Peta Murgatroyd as the number eight pro of all time. And, you know, some of these newer pros, even though she's not a newer pro anymore, but some of these pros that are still dancing, if the show continues on, they may move up my list. But again, longevity matters to me. Now, 14 seasons is a lot, but uh, I just didn't have her a little bit higher for other reasons, which we're going to get into here. Number seven, Kim Johnson. Might surprise some of you folks. Kim's another old school dancer. I may have a little biased here because I love her. (laughs) Uh, She's my favorite female pro that's ever been on the show. But Kim's another workhorse. Boy, she was in 15 seasons of Dancing with the Stars. She's another person that took a lot of bad dancers for the show. Listen to some of these dancers that Kim had. Jerry Springer, Mark Cuban, Penn Jillette, David Allen Greer, David Hasselhoff. Oh, my God. Uh, Mr. T. <laughs> and then there was a lot of middle-of-the-road dancers that she had to deal with. Robert Herjavec, who she married. Uh, Ingo Rademacher, uh, David Arquette. So... She not only had some really bad dancers, she had some middle-of-the-pack dancers. Yet, Kim was able to be a two-time mirror ball champion. And another bullet point for her, she won those two mirror balls with not the best dancer in her seasons. Now, granted, season nine with Donny Osmond, no one was going to beat Donny Osmond that season. There was a popularity vote component to his winning, but he was still a very, very good dancer. And... Uh, I don't know where he would have ranked, maybe second best, maybe third best. The point is, he was a good dancer. He wasn't the best dancer. That was Maya Harrison. But props to Kim. She got him She got him to the championship. And I know, again, he was going to win with anyone probably. But then Heinz, uh, she won with Heinz Ward in season 12. Now, season 12 was a down season, but I don't think Heinz Ward was the best dancer. I think it was Chelsea Kane that season. So, again... Bullet points for winning her two mirror balls with people that weren't their best dancers. Plus, like I said, I've always loved her. So Kim Johnson, number seven. Uh, Julianne Huff, number six. And this may surprise a lot of people too. That's why it's my personal list. Julianne Huff was only on five seasons as a pro dancer. Way back in the day, seasons four through eight. But she won two mirror ball trophies in in those five seasons. And... She was part of, and I've mentioned this before, I affectionately made up this title myself. She was part of the Huff Ballast dynasty that, in my opinion, was the primary reason this show became a juggernaut. Now, if they were never there, was it still going to be successful? Yes. This show had too many good parts in it and so forth. I just think they were a really important cog. And that's Julianne Huff, who came in season four. Her partner, her brother, Derek Huff, who came in season five, and their friend, Mark Ballas, who came in season five also. They all grew up together. Derek and Julianne, I guess, lived with Mark and his parents in, in England for a while and learned how to dance. And the three of those people, basically kids, I think they were all teenagers when they came on, in seasons four and five, they took this show to the next level. And I don't have the exact number in front of me. Let's see if I can figure it out. From season four through season 11, that's eight seasons, a Huffer of Ballas won the Mirabal Trophy six of those eight times. 
That's called dominance. That's called putting your stamp on a show. And I just, that's a huge bullet point for all three of them. Um, And then to top it off, not only was she part of what I considered the foundation for the show's success, she came back and spent five seasons as a full-time judge. This isn't necessarily, like I said, just your dancing ability as a pro. It's what you did to help the success of this show. And I know some people didn't care for her as a judge. I thought she was great. And not only was she a judge full-time for five seasons, she was a guest judge on four different other seasons. And she helped out when uh, Derek got COVID, and she helped out when Lynn um, uh, uh, couldn't uh, or didn't do seasons. uh, Let's see, it was 21 when he kind of retired the first time around. She was there for the show. She's always been a great ambassador for the show. She's always said, that's where my career was made. And I love it. And I'll always go back. And it's a family to me. And then, of course, she won the two mirror balls, her first two seasons with Apollo Ono and Elio Castroneves. Uh, I don't have a problem with having Julianne number six on my list with only five seasons as a pro dancer because of the five seasons as a judge and the four other seasons as a guest judge and just what she's has done for the show. So Julianne's number six for me. Number five, top 10 pros of all time. Let me go with the old bad boy of the ballroom, Max Chermkowski. He was uh, 17 seasons on the show, one championship with uh, Merrill Davis. And one of the knocks I have against Max is he's only won one championship in 17 seasons, and it took the greatest female dancer in the history of the show to get him that. Uh, but right away, I'm going to go to bat for Max because he was another one that got a lot of bad partners. He really did. And again, I don't mean bad people, but well, some of them might have <laughs> had a little bit of a bad attitude about being on the show. But Max had some tough dancers to deal with and uh, not necessarily awful, nothing like Tony, Dov- Tony Dovolani had to deal with. These were dancers that were more middle of the pack dancers. But the thing was, he couldn't do much with them. And to me, that's not a the mark of a good pro. Uh, you know, you take a pro that can mold and change their teaching habits to the strengths and or weaknesses of their pro or their celebrity dancer. That's a good teaching pro. I don't think Max ever had that. Max is one of those Eastern European judges or Russian judges that they're tough. It's their way or the highway, and I don't think they have the patience to teach people uh, that can't learn. So they had a tough time with dancers that had a tough time learning. And, uh, you know, Max is famous for run-ins with many of his partners, some of them really not very pleasant run-ins, we heard. And then, you know, he didn't end his time on the show very well. You know, his, he had Heather Morris in season 24, which arguably is a top 10 female of all time. She's a trained dancer. You know, people are griping about Charlie having been a trained dancer. Well, there, there have been many trained dancers before on the show, one of them, Heather Morris, and I believe they finished in eighth in season 24. Now, Max was hurt a couple of those weeks, and Alan had to fill in for him, but I don't know. I just think if you're given the best dancer or one of the best, you better finish pretty high. And he didn't with several of his partners. Um, He did get Mel B to second place. He got Aaron Andrews to third place. He got Brandy to fourth place. Uh, But it it just wasn't as good a performance, I don't think, 
to get any higher on my list. Hell, I still have him number five because there's no doubt his stamp on the, the show. You called him the bad boy of the ballroom because he brought a lot of uh, press and, re- and recognition to the show. Was it always positive? Not necessarily, but I think Jerry Jones has always said, hey, bad press is good press or whatever because you're still getting attention to the show or to the football team. And uh, believe me, there were a lot of times when Max brought <clears throat> attention to the show because of the friction he had with his partners. And the most notorious was, I think, his final season, uh, Vanessa Lachey in season 25. <clears throat> Max took a, week's off, a week off. And we got no excuse, no explanation other than personal reasons, which I'd never heard in the history of the show. And there was all kinds of rumors of him and Vanessa Lachey getting into it. So again, because of some of the negative stuff, I don't have him any higher, but really there's not much higher he could go because the top four people I don't, I think should be ahead of him. So I got Max's number five. That's still giving love to Max. Max is number five on my top 10 pros list. Number four, I have Mark Ballas. And Mark is actually in season 31, as we all know. And Mark started in season five. And again, Huff Ballas dynasty, he won his first, uh, or not his first two, but two really early on. He went on with Christy Yamaguchi and Sean Johnson. But then he's had a a, a very dry spell. And Mark has been given a lot of good partners. So, you know, we talked about Tony not getting very many good partners at all. Mark had a lot and has been given a lot of good partners. And he still only got the two mirror balls. Now, that's good. That's still really good. But he had so many partners that either finished a lot lower than they should have or for whatever reason, you know, he couldn't get to the title. Uh, let me go over some of them. Sabrina Bryan, boy, voted way too way, off way too early in season five. Now, that was his first season, so I've got to cut him a little slack there, I guess. Uh, Chelsea Kane was really good. Catherine Jenkins was fantastic. Allie Raceman was very good. Christina Milian was really good. Uh, Willow Shields was really good. Alexa Penavega was very good. Uh, Paige Van Zandt, he did get her to second. Lindsey Sterling, he got her to second. Um, but he's had such good partners over the history of this show. I would have expected another mirror ball here or there. Um, again, they're hard to get, and I'm not really coming down on them. I'm just saying that's one of the negative bullet points, I guess you would say. Now, the positives, two-time champion, Huff Ballast Dynasty, the most creative pro that we've had, uh, creative dance-wise, I think, in in the history of the show. The most final appearances. With this season, he's going to be in his 11th final. Uh, That's impressive. Uh, And again, long-tenured. He would have been, he's been in 20 seasons now. And who knows? He's probably done, but you never know. He's taken a couple breaks. Uh, Tony, uh, as I mentioned, was in 21 seasons. So the second most tenured male on the show. So uh, again, Mark Ballas, number four, top 10 pro. Number three, we go to the top uh, female that's been on the show, in my opinion, Cheryl Burke. And you talk about working for the greater good and is a person that loves the show and has championed it and been on there a long time. Cheryl's been on 25 seasons. Think about that. (laughs) 31 seasons we've had, and she's been on 25 of them. She's also a two-time champ. Very long ago, though. Seasons two and three. Wow, think about that. Season two and three. Drew Lachey, Emmett Smith. Uh, She's also had a pretty good list of male 
pros that she didn't win with, Gilles Marini, Juan Pablo de Pache, but she's also had a good list of middle-of-the-road dancers or guys with no experience that she's done really well with, Rob Kardashian, Jack Osborne. So like everyone, we have hits and misses in life, and I think the biggest one was that she lost the finals with Gilles Marini in season eight. Uh, I think that was Gilles' season to lose, and I'll be damned if they didn't lose it. Uh, I've talked about this before, probably one of the worst freestyles in the history of the show, not because Gilles couldn't dance, but the choreography, the song selection, the outfits they wore, Ooh, that's a tough one. Go back and look at that, and it, it's cringeworthy, I think. But again, she did such a great job with Rob Kardashian and Jack Osborne getting Rob to second place in their season and uh, Jack to third place in theirs. So I got Cheryl as the number three pro of all time. Number two pro of all time, give it to Max's brother, Val, Val Chermkowski. He's been on the show 18 seasons, one more and his brother. He's still out there. Hopefully he'll come back next season, but who knows? A two-time champ. Uh, he's also been given a lot of good partners. And again, I would think maybe another mirror ball here or there would have been uh, doable. Uh, some of his partners uh, that were great, Elizabeth Berkeley was great. Maybe she shouldn't have won her season. She only got to sixth, though, I believe it was. Uh, but she, he's had two of the top 10 females in the history of the show that he didn't with, Zendaya Coleman in season 16 and Normani Corday in season 24. Uh, so those are kind of negative bullet points. But he did uh, win with uh, Rumor Willis and Lori Hernandez, both probably the best dancers in their seasons. Although you could argue for second place finishers in both of those, Rumor had uh, Riker Lynch as a second place finisher. Um, <clears throat> and uh, Lori Hernandez went up against James Hinchcliffe. But uh, still, that's two championships, so that's good. And then Val, like I mentioned, I consider him the alpha male of the second generation of the pros. And uh, just as I think uh, Julianne and Derek and Mark were the leaders of the first group of pros, I think uh, Val and Peter were the leaders of the second group of the pros. So Val needs to be way up there, and he is. He's number two. And, of course, number one, there's really no reason for a drum rule or anything here because there's no suspense. Everybody knows it. We're talking about the Babe Ruth of Dancing with the Stars. We're talking about the Wayne Gretzky of Dancing with the Stars, the greatest pro Ever in the history of the show, the greatest pro that will ever be on the history of the show, the great Derek Huff. Uh, Derek has won 35% of the time he's been on this show. That's unbelievable. That's Tiger Woods-like. When you win 35% of the time you were a pro on the show. Uh, Derek was in 17 seasons. Now, yes, six Mirabal trophies, but yes, he's been given a lot of great partners. However, I think you could stack up his partners against Val and against Mark Ballas and say, yes, this is very comparable. And Derek has six mirror ball trophies. Uh, and then on top of it, just for good measure, let's become a judge on the show. <laughs> let's do musical acts on the show for the greater good. He's going to be doing a musical act with Haley, his, his uh, fiance, next week on the finale again. He's done several of those with her over the show's history. Um, the greatest coach ever. He could coach people that have dance experience. He could coach people that don't have a dance experience. He can coach people that had didn't have two lower legs. Uh, the guy is just amazing. And yes, he's had good partners. He's never finished below sixth in any season. Val had good partners and he did finish below sixth. 
Mal's had, uh, Mark's had good partner, partners, and he did finish below six with many of his partners. Derek Huff, the greatest there ever was, there ever will be. All right, well, there's my top 10 list of pros. I hope you guys liked it. I had a blast thinking about it and doing it. I know, very subjective, and I hope you're not mad at me and don't like me now because I disagree or you disagree with some of mine, but that's the way it goes. And that's, look at this time. Oh my God, folks, I'm sorry. Uh, all this good work I put in this year of keeping the show to an hour and 15, I'm blowing this one out of the water. But uh, I've had a blast. I felt like I, short, I was shortchanged this year, so I wanted to get one long one in. I won't go this long next week, although it is the final show. I haven't even thought about my uh, final show yet, which is scary because we've got less than a week and I've got to get back to work and I've got stuff to do. Um, we will have a state of the show address. I'm probably going to have... I got to have some kind of tribute to Lynn. Uh, of course, we'll cover the finale, but it's not going to be that long next week. This is the long one for the year. So here we go. But we are almost finished. I don't know why I just feel like I have to bring that up every time, but I feel like I do. Turn out the lights. The party's over. <laughs> they say that all good things must end. Call it a night. The party's over, and tomorrow and next year starts the same old thing again. Well, you know what that is. That's Don Meredith telling us it's time to go, and I just misfired on that one, as the uh, ticket board ops would say sometimes. That's supposed to come after the contest question, because we haven't done that yet. So, it's time for our final contest question of the podcast season. Now, <clears throat> if you're new to this podcast right now and you're a Dancing with the Stars fan, you can still get in the contest. You probably don't want to do it because it's going to take a lot of work, but if you're a big fan of the show, listen up. We'll go over this one more time. We've done a contest for years and years now where I have taken a big fan of Dancing with the Stars to see the show live and in person in Los Angeles. Uh, it's just an absolute blast to go out there if you're a fan of the show. You've seen it forever on TV, and, you know, if you're a real, true blue fan of the show, you will love it out there. I'm telling you, you will. Um, I've given away eight trips to go see the show out there, and I know some of you that are listening and don't know the ticket and don't know me and don't know what the hell this is, you're probably thinking, what? I'm not going to meet you at a show at Dancing with the Stars. I don't know you. Believe me, <laughs> it's got nothing to do with anything, but I want to share the show with people that love the show. Um, I love it, and I love going out there. For those of you that haven't heard, I've been out to the show 28 times. Would have been many more if I could have gotten tickets early in the early days and if I would have had money in the early days, but uh, now I'm old, so I've got a little bit of money to spend, and I'm going to spend it on things I like, and this show, I like this show if you haven't uh, figured that out yet. So, we got a contest this season. In fact, I'm going to give away two trips because we used to give away a trip on the ticket radio station call-in show, but we can't do that anymore because I'm no longer an employee there. So we moved that one over. We're giving away two trips to see the show next season, season 32, which Disney Plus has said there will be one. Uh, hopefully there will be no COVID messes. Hopefully they'll open up the third floor balcony next year. and We can get a lot more people or a lot more chance to get tickets because tickets were hard to get this season. And uh, But we got them for the two uh, 
contestants that won last season. And I had a great time with them. They said they had a great time. One of them brought their mother. So uh, you can do that. We'll get into the details here in just a minute. But um, we've been asking a question at the end of each podcast episode, even the two that I was sick on, we asked a question. I believe, and I should be better prepared, but because of the show and just trying to get this out, uh, going to the show in LA and trying to get this out to you, I didn't look over all my notes. But I think this is the ninth question of the season. But you guys know if you've been following along, it basically started, yeah, I'm going to have 11 shows. And yeah, we didn't do one the first show. We're not going to do a question on the last show. So this will be question number nine. I'm going to ask you a question for those of you that don't know what we're doing um, about the previous week's podcast so that I want you to listen to my podcast. So (laughs) you'll have to go back and find this, but it's open book and you can do it as quickly or as take as long as you want. If you want to get into this, hopefully most of you have been following along and you don't have to do that. You just have to go back and get this one question answered because we've already had eight questions. But for any of you that are new, you can go back to the end of each episode, get the question and then go back to the prior episode and listen to it and get the answer. That's going to take forever now, but if you want to go to the show, you might have a, might have a good shot. <laughs> um, I would say you need to be a big fan of the show. It is a beating to get to the show. Uh, it's a long flight from wherever you live or for a lot of people. You know, my two winners were in Nebraska and Texas, so that's still a three-hour flight for them. Uh, we've got flight delays these days, you know. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's LA's a mess as far as traffic. It's hard to get to this, not hard, but it takes a while to get to the show. Um, it, you know, it's just an ordeal. You got to take off work. So unless you're a super fan of the show, don't get in it. Cause you won't, you won't enjoy it. You got to stand for a long time. You got to sit for a long time, but I'm telling you, if you like the show, it'll be worth it. So uh, let's see anything else. Um, oh yeah, I got, I need to tell you, I guess I know I've done this off and on throughout the season, but it's a trip to go see the show next year, season 32. As I said, uh, the winners, there's going to be two. They will not have to pay anything if they don't want to, uh, I will pay airfare lodging, the car rental I will have. So if you don't want to ride with me in your car, in my car, Yes, you have to get your own car transportation, Uber or whatever it is. But if you don't mind me picking you up at the airport, taking you to the hotel, taking you to the show, taking you back to the airport, then it's fine. And it it is fine. Uh, so we'll have to pay for that. Um, let's see. Uh, it, it includes dinner after the show on Monday. There's a place called The Grove next door, which is fun place. And they have nice restaurants. And it's real close to the, I mean, it's a you know, 15-minute walk or something. Uh, but... Uh, you know, if you want to get incidentals on your own of anything, then you'll cover that. But it covers the, the, uh, God, I'm, I'm running out of steam here, folks. <laughs> it covers the airfare, the car rental, the, uh, uh, hotel and dinner on Monday night. So uh, that's if you want to go to dinner with me. If you don't, again, you know, you don't have to. Now you can bring someone with you if you want, but they have to stay in your room because I, or, or pay for their own room because I'm not going to pay for their room and I'm not going to pay for their airfare. So one of the contestants brought their mother this year and the mother paid for her own airfare, but she got to stay in a room with her daughter and they don't live in the same state. So it probably got a nice chance to catch up and, uh, and uh, you know, have some family bonding time there. And she loved the show. Her mother loves the show. So it was a it was a fun time had by all. So uh, both both win, winners this year went really well. Uh, we had a couple flight delays and some weird flight times because um, you won't be flying first class, and I may not be able to get the the best timing because of the expense. 
but uh, we'll get you out there. And uh, like I said, uh, if you're ready for an adventure, this will be an adventure for you. Okay, let's get to this question. Last week during the dance relays on the show, I mentioned that one set of the co- that with one set of the competitors, it was the and I think this is a quote: the classic conf- God, the classic confrontation of good technique versus good performance. So two of those couples were in the dance relay, and I said that statement: the classic confrontation of good technique versus good performance. Who were the two celebrities that were in that dance relay? So all you have to do is email me the nine answers to the nine questions that we did this uh, season for the contest. And you're going to email them to dwtsp1 at yahoo.com. That's the letters dwtsp, the number one at yahoo.com. And uh, let's say, I guess we have to have a deadline on this. Who knows when this is going to get out to you? Um, when you know, I still got to get it to TC, and then he's got to do his magic, and then uh, all that. So I need to give you a few days. Now, most of you hopefully have done all this throughout the season, and it won't take that long. But in case there is any that need the time, let's make it Thanksgiving. So hopefully that'll give you several days to get that to me. And uh, then I'll look at the answers over Thanksgiving weekend. And if there's only two of you that have all nine correct, then you're going to L.A. next year if you want to. Um, If there's more than two, then we're going to have to come up with a tiebreaker. And that will mean I'll have to contact you all via email that have uh, sent in the uh, nine correct answers. Oh, boy. It's been a long one, folks. Uh, but we also uh, end the show and we did our music segment tonight. So you guys kind of know my music habits already, but we also end the show with another song from my youth. Listen to this jam. Know who that is? (laughs) That's the great Prince. And this is early Prince. This is a song called Uptown, released in 1980. And uh, this was right after the disco era, but it still has got such a funky disco dance sound to it. Uh, It was huge in the dance clubs. You know, we all know Prince probably from the mid-1980s, especially Purple Rain. And uh, that was his height of his, his, uh, his success, I would say. But Early Prince was lovely. I loved Earl Prince. And this is just one of the songs I really liked called Uptown. Uh, Like I said, released in 1980. He had a lot of other really old songs. Well, I say really old. Early songs that I really liked. Uh, You may want to go back and look at some of these. Want to Be Your Lover. Why You Want to Hurt Me So Bad. Controversy. Let's Work. These were great songs that that were early Prince. And uh, really liked them. Really liked them a lot. This thing made it to, uh, Uptown made it to number five on the dance charts. You know, it was a little bit of a crossover hit, not much, but you'd hear it occasionally on regular radio stations, but this was more funk and R&B stations, urban stations, and uh, let's listen a little more. Uh, 
Yeah, you know, Prince is kind of his own guy, you know, and he's done a lot of unique things. You talk about some wild stuff in the early days. Man, Prince would wear, like, high heels and bikini underwear and a trench coat. And then with this falsetto voice and stuff, boy, if you could pull that look and that sound off back then, pretty impressive. And, of course, then he became the legend that he became. Next week on Dancing with the Stars, it is finals night. A slow tear rolling down, or a tear rolling down slowly on my cheek now. So uh, exciting, but yet sad. Down to four. Uh, It's gone according to form, in my opinion. In my opinion, the top four dancers are in the final, the ones that should be there. So uh, we'll see how it turns out. Next week, freestyles, of course. No judges save. So the fans get to vote. They get to say their opinion. Hopefully the judges won't go crazy and give all tens to everybody unless it's deserved. But, uh, you know, we want to make it something so that the judges pick a winner and let the fans decide, too, on their own. Uh, Can't wait to come back to you next week and talk about it. Thank you to TC for doing this. Hope he gets it out to you guys quickly. Thank you guys for listening. Until next week, sorry for the long show. This is Tony the Engineer. Bye-bye.